Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. <laughs> B-F-F-T. From the Pack West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. I don't know what Kyrie Irving is thinking or if he's thinking, but I know that the NBA is not happy with him. Adam Silver, NBA commissioner, said he's disappointed with Kyrie Irving. I'm going to give you his full statement. Still won't apologize. It was a train wreck today, that news conference in which he was, I guess, supposed to apologize. Because if there was a path to mending the situation, after he retweeted an anti-Semitic movie last week, uh, he didn't find the way back. He refused to say he was sorry. He refused to say that he doesn't hold anti-Semitic beliefs. He refused to say that the Holocaust happened, and he cast himself as a victim in this saga. He was cut off by uh, the Nets PR team six minutes into answering questions. I guess as far as he would go was, I didn't mean to cause any harm. He repeatedly echoed the language from his joint statement, saying he took responsibility for the retweet, but he sidestepped the whole issue. I think the NBA has no other choice. At some point here, they've got to suspend Kyrie Irving. They have to. They have to. They can't uh, have an owner like Robert Sarver under fire for uh, saying uh, racist things that are hateful. You, You can't do that and then simultaneously give Kyrie Irving a pass. I know the NBA Players Association is powerful, but uh, nonsense answers from Kyrie Irving today. Um, This is a weird news conference. Um, I'm going to play part of his statement. I'll interrupt it. we got a great show today. We're going to talk a lot about the Pac-12. We're going to talk about our Pac-12 picks. But I want to start with Kyrie Irving today. Uh, As I uh, started to dive into this right before the show, I was like, you know what, we probably should start with this. Here is his full statement this morning as he is speaking to reporters. And, you know, I'm going to play it. I'll interrupt him at different points. But... I want you to hear it in his words. I want to know what you're thinking of it. And I think in the end, if you are, uh, you know, the the Nets, you're you're you got to be awfully concerned about what is going on I'm here. Surprised that reaction and some of the things that you did hurt people. Yeah, I, I think I can ask a better question. It's just where were you when I was a uh, a kid, figuring out that uh, 300 million of my ancestors are buried in America. Where were you guys asking those same questions when I was a kid dealing with learning about the traumatic events of my familial history and what I'm proud to come from and why I'm proud to stand here and why when I repeat myself that I'm not going to stand down, it has nothing to do with dismissing any other race or group of people. I'm just proud of my heritage and what we've been through. And uh, the fact that this has pinned me against the Jewish community and uh, I'm here answering questions of whether or not I'm sorry or not on something I didn't create and it was something I shared and I'm telling everybody I'm taking responsibility then 
that's where I sit. So, you know, these same questions that you guys ask, me dealing with it as being a melanated, pigmented person all around the world and dealing with racial biases against my skin color, demeaning me because of my religious beliefs, and I'm still sitting in the seat standing. So, um, I take my full responsibility. Again, I'll repeat it for posting something on my Instagram or Twitter that may have had some unfortunate falsehoods in it. But I also am a human being that's 30 years old and I've been growing up in a country that's told me that I wasn't worth anything and I came from a slave class. And I come from a people that are meant to be treated the way we get treated every day. So I'm not here to compare anyone's atrocities or tragic events that their families have dealt with generations of time. I'm just here to continue to expose things that our world continues to put in darkness. I'm a light. I'm a beacon of light. That's what I'm here to do. You guys ask me questions about basketball, I give you my expert opinion. You guys ask me about other things, I give you my opinion, and it's met with whatever you believe the perception or the deception is. You guys investigate my life every day and you justify it by serving your own purpose, which I honor. I would like the same respect in return, figuring out just like anyone else. So please keep that same energy when we're talking about anti-other things, because just because I post a documentary doesn't mean I'm anti-Semitic, and doesn't mean that I'm automatically standing with everyone that is believing in that. So it's unfortunate timing that we're in, but I'm glad that I could stand on the truth, because. I'm not afraid of these mics, these cameras. I used to be looking everyone in the eye and telling them the truth, but I'm proud of who I am. Any label that you put on me, I'm able to dismiss because I study. I know the Oxford Dictionary, you look it up, right? One of the biggest mistakes I had in being a kid was not knowing European or Western language until I started looking it up and understanding the definitions and why they say, if you want to trick a black person, put it in a book. I was wondering my whole life why they said that. Now I'm 30 years old and I know reading is a superpower because it helps me understand where I'm going and where I come from. Like a tree with roots. Kyrie Irving uh, speaking. Uh, that was his opening statement today. He Then he had a, an exchange when he was asked if he had anti-Semitic beliefs. Now, when somebody asks you if you have anti-Semitic beliefs, the, the answer is that this is an easy answer. Like, this is no. Like, right? This is an opportunity. This was a softball for Kyrie Irving. You have any anti-Semitic beliefs? Again, I'm going to repeat. I don't know how the label becomes justified because you guys ask me the same questions over and over again. But this is not going to turn into a spin-around cycle of questions upon questions. I told you guys how I felt. I respect all walks of life and embrace all walks of life. That's where I sit. I think what people want to hear though is yes or no on that question. Yes or no. I, I cannot be anti-Semitic if I know where I come from. I cannot be anti-Semitic if I know where I come from. Kyrie Irving uh, speaking to reporters. Look, I think it's really interesting because, you know, I have gone from, you know, it, I, I actually don't think anybody would care what Kyrie Irving really had to say on any of these viewpoints if he weren't a public figure, right? That's where this all starts. He's an NBA player. He's got a large following. When he retreats a, uh, a film uh, that, that has anti-Semitic beliefs in it, 
Um, it's it's no different than if a player uh, elsewhere in the league had retweeted something that had racist beliefs in it. It it's it's noticeable. It's glaring, and I I I get that he probably feels attacked here. It sounds like he feels attacked here. But I also think that the league's got to do something. I think Adam Silver's got to come in and do something. I think the league has a problem now on its hands. And, and frankly, the problem exists because you have a uh, swath of sponsors of the league. You have partners in the league that are just not going to be okay with a player in the league expressing viewpoints and promoting uh, anti-Semitic films and then not uh, apologizing afterwards and not owning it afterwards. Um, I'm... Disappointed with this, I'm now also hearing that the $500,000 donation is not a donation, that it may be a fine. Have you heard this, Stephen, that it was a fine that was leveled and they uh, got Kyrie to pass off on it because uh, they framed it as a donation towards anti-hate uh, causes? But, um, you know, look, he reposted the Alec Jones conspiracy theory on New World Order. I mean, you, you just... You gotta know that if you're in his position, you have to you have to know what you're tweeting, retweeting. You have to know what you're endorsing, almost in the same way you have to know what you're putting in your body. Yeah, I mean, 4.6 million followers he has on Twitter. Um, yeah, I'd heard the same thing. Like uh, Kyrie had met with the Nets and they had discussed a deal, and they came up with that the the uh, the donation, the quote unquote donation that he made could be like him being suspended or fined for that and giving it to there, but. Again, like we talked about yesterday, it's he's he. It seems like he thinks he's apologizing when you hear him talk, but he's not empathetic at all to who he's offended, right? Yeah. And he's trying to tell you how smart he is and that it it's not him, it's everyone else. And that's my problem with him is that he's not take. He says he's taking responsibility, but he's not saying he's wrong. He's not saying sorry. If he was truly sorry and he was responsible for what he was saying, he would say, "I'm sorry for." putting that out there and even making people think that I think this way because I don't necessarily think that he thinks that he is anti-Semitic, but when you put out that tweet and you retweet it, it shows a different thing. And so maybe he is right. And he, so it's just tough. And to answer his question, you know, where were we when he was a kid or where was the media when he was a kid figuring out that his ancestors were buried in America? I mean, a lot of us were still in elementary school too and, or in high school and we were profoundly disappointed with American history and, you know, so I think it's kind of ridiculous for him to stand in front of the, some of the media members and be like, well, hey, where were you? Like, you know, it, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, Kyrie's age compared to a lot of the media that are around him in this news conference, it's not that different. Maybe there's 10 or 12 years different. Some of them may have been in college. Some of them may have been out of college. But the answer to that is like, hey, we're not talking about, you know, slavery in American history here. If we are, that's a, that's a whole other conversation that I think we would all align on, I hope and think. So I, I think he's just trying to deflect there. I want to take some phone calls. 503-417-7575. What do you make of it? What should the NBA do, if anything? And uh, do we care what Kyrie Irving endorses, promotes, has to think, has to say? I didn't before. I'm, I'm finding myself more interested now. Uh, D is in Portland. D, welcome to the conversation. Hey, John. How, uh, how are you today, man? I'm all right. How about you? I'm all right, man. Um, look, man. Kyrie, he's toxic. He's been toxic for a while now, man. Uh, everything he does, it's about him. It's never about the team. Uh, it's always about him. Uh, My- Myers Leonard, he did 
this kind of thing on Twitch. He yeah. said a racial slur yep. right away, apologized, did everything, you know. He was booted from the NBA. And why is that? Because he's not as good as a player as Kyrie Irving. Look, you can't have a player like that talk like the way he does. Yeah. And uh, I don't get it. Uh, Nets, you're not going anywhere with him. Why do you continue to keep him on the roster? Kevin Durant, bro, you're not going to win. Do you want to keep playing this game where you're just his babysitter or, or you're going to let him do whatever he wants? Man, NBA, you got to do something because this doesn't look good. Uh, yeah. He's a clown. Uh, I can't wait till he's away from the NBA. I can't believe he, uh, I can't wait till he's done with the NBA. So I no longer have to hear about him or anything. Kids, if you're listening to this, please do not listen to that person. Right. Well, you know what happens, clue. though. Do you know what happens? The more that Kyrie talks, and the more that we talk about him the more that his social media following grows. Now, I don't follow Kyrie Irving on social media. I haven't cared what he thought. I, I care about him as a human being and a player, but uh, I find myself uh, less interested in his viewpoints every time he opens his mouth. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk to Josh Newman of the Salt Lake Tribune. He covers Utah football. Why do we want to talk to Josh Newman? Well, we want to know about Utah as they start their, uh, I guess, their landing towards the date they have with Oregon on November 19th. What's going on with the Utah football program? We'll talk to Josh Newman next. And, hey, for those of you listening right now, you've been hearing me in the last couple days give away tickets to the PK Invitational in the PK Classic, the Phil Knight uh, Classic that is happening on Thanksgiving weekend. I'm going to ask Josh Newman in the interview coming up about his go-to movie, his favorite movie. In the interview, I will ask him that question. Now, his answer is your key to win later in the show, 4 o'clock hour. I will ask somebody listening to the Josh Newman interview to call back in and tell me what movie Josh Newman mentioned. It's very simple. If you're listening in the next segment, you are inherently at an advantage to win those tickets to the PK Invitational. We're talking about tickets to 12 games. You get all of the men's game, the women's game, the final. You get it all. Uh, so stay tuned and listen to the Josh Newman interview, and if you, you happen to uh, be the lucky caller later in the show, you're at an inherent advantage. Josh Newman coming up next. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Pac-12 football games uh, all weekend, of course, full slate of games. Arizona will be playing at Utah, 4.30 on the Pac-12 Networks on Saturday. Here to talk about it, the great Josh Newman of the Salt Lake Tribune joining us. How are you, man? John, I'm doing well. How are you? We're good. Is Cam Rising going to play in this game? you got a feel for it? Um, strikes me as a situation where if I were a betting man, which I am, um, I would <laughs> lean towards Rising probably playing. It's... It's Thursday afternoon. You know, the things you hear coming out of Utah, I would put it at, put it at maybe 60-40, 65-35 that Rising goes. Um, I mean, look, remember, last week going into Washington State, they had gone through the bye and gone through the short game week with Rising pointed towards playing, right? There were no setbacks. There was no problem. And then they get to, um, they get to Lewiston on Wednesday night. He had a bit of a setback. He still tried – well, he, he didn't try. He did go through warm-ups um, at Washington State on Thursday, and within like a half hour of kickoff, he decided that he couldn't go. 
So he was very close. Um, and I think the real telltale thing here this week is that Kyle Whittingham on Monday said that uh, Rising looked and felt better on Monday uh, compared to that point last Monday. So that, to me, was an indication that they are uh, that they are getting Rising ready to go and that at, at this point, again, 60-40, 65-35, he goes on Saturday. Do we know what the injury was? Because I, I, I think you're the only person who really reported that he showed up in the news conference that first appearance after the USC game. He had a brace on. What do you know about that? Um, left knee it is what I was told. Um, you know, Coach Peak is, you know, lower leg injury, right? But it, it sounded to me like it was uh, it was a knee. Um, so, you know, nothing serious. Again, he it, it was a very physical game against USC, right? And, and, and that was on both sides, right? Jordan Addison, Eric Gentry came out of that game, banged up for USC, Cam Rising, um, you know, Makai Bernard. So the thing with Rising is he's, he's not your prototypical dual-threat guy, but they are comfortable with him running the ball, 8, 10, 12 times a game between, you know, by design or on a scramble. So he is touching the ball or he is in on like 78 or 80% of the offensive plays that Utah is running. So that's more contact. That's more risk of injury. That's more things that could happen. But, you know, he's a gamer. And, uh, you know, the fact that he decided that he could not go against Washington State, I, I think that was a surprise to everybody. And when I say everybody, it sounds like Kyle Whittingham was not, you know, not necessarily caught off guard, but it seemed, it seemed he was a little surprised that, you know, that Rising couldn't go just, you know, knowing that the type of competitor that he is. Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune is with us. I'm impressed with this team because offensive line, just okay. Running backs, uh, not really reliable. Receivers, eh, they're so-so. The tight ends are great, but they're banged up. But this team just seems to find a way. What is it about this team? That's a that's a pretty loaded question. I, I don't know that you have a great answer. I mean, I, I could point towards, you know, depth. You know, you look at the running back situation, as you said, you know, not very reliable this year. Um, you know, they walked into the season – thinking that they had four legitimate options at that position. Um, Tavion Thomas has been dealing with some personal stuff, uh, certainly has looked nothing like the player he was last year. Um, and Makai Bernard, for as versatile and as good as he is, he plays very physical. He is very banged up right now. So you take those two guys out of the mix. Uh, Chris Curry is done for the season with an ankle injury. And if Bernard cannot go against um, – if Bernard cannot go against – um, Arizona, you're looking at a situation where you have a true freshman in Jalen Glover, who they're very high on, and he played well against Washington State. Uh, 20 carries for 76 yards and a touchdown. Um, and uh, Quinton Jackson, who is a converted quarterback, who you know has some running back experience, but he has taken that to that position very well, certainly better than can be expected based on the fact that he was a quarterback who was just thrust into the running back room. So it's things like that, right? Uh, depth, and options at most positions, that is what is kind of pulling Utah through right now. And, look, you know as well as I do, right? It's not just running back, right? Cam Rising couldn't play. Here comes Bryson Barnes, you know, a walk-on kid from Southern Utah. Um, you know, we all know about, you know, the almost heroics in the Rose Bowl. Um, you know, Barnes comes in here and, you know, 17-27, 175, threw a touchdown pass. Kid was really solid. Took good care of the ball. He was a huge reason why. Um, why Utah won that game. Um, you know, again, you're talking about depth and options. If Dalton Kincaid is, like, very hurt and, and cannot go against Arizona, 
that one's a bit of a problem because you're already without Grant Keithy, and if you're without Kincaid, it's very hard to run You know, 12 personnel like you want to. They don't have another pass-catching option at their disposal like Keithy, like Kincaid. So, um, you know, despite all of this, if you, if you have Rising, if Rising plays, I give Utah a chance against anybody in this conference just, just for what he does, the way he plays, and just how dynamic he can be. Josh, uh, that running back position, it's just seemed like week to week. You just don't know who's going to be there. Who will be there now, and who do you suspect will be among the backfield candidates on November 19th when Utah plays at Oregon? Uh, November 19th, it feels like a world away now. I mean, <laughs> I know, you, know, I know. you know, let's start with Arizona here. I mean, again, Jalen Glover, Jaquindon Jackson. I think that Makai Bernard is, look, he's, He's very banged up. He was very limited at Washington State, but he felt good enough to, you know, he went through warm-ups. He had three carries. I don't know um, how much he can give, but I'm expecting Bernard to play, um, again, at least suit up, at least warm up, at least try to give them something against Arizona. So you're looking at, again, Bernard and Jalen Glover and Jaquindon Jackson. Now, in terms of Tavion Thomas, Kyle Whittingham has sounded optimistic that at some point this season, couldn't tell you when, could be on Saturday against Arizona, could be against Oregon, could be in a bowl game. But at some point, he sounds optimistic that they will have Tavion Thomas at their disposal. So, you know, between now and November 19th is a um, is, is a long ways away. But if, you, if you're trying to put a, you know, an estimate, like will Tavion Thomas be available against Oregon, if things continue on the path that they're on now and they're trying to get it all figured out, he didn't travel to Washington State, I do not expect to see him Saturday against Arizona. I think if things continue on the path that they're on now, you have, I would call it a 50-50 chance as we sit here right now that we might see Tavion Thomas play against Oregon. Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune with us. Uh, Josh, you're going to help uh, as part of a giveaway we're doing later in the show. So listeners who are listening now are going to have a chance to uh, try to remember your answer to this next question. Uh, the uh, question is, uh, what movie is your go-to movie? Like, are you a movie guy? If there's a movie on TV, I know you got a newborn. Let's just say you're up in the middle of the night, baby's getting fed, uh, movies on TV. What movie are you stopping to watch if it's on? My all-time favorite movie is uh, The Shawshank Redemption. Um, everything yes. about that, right, the performance of Morgan Freeman and, and Tim Robbins and, and the story, obviously adapted from a, you know, a famous Stephen King novel. Uh, that is a movie that if you catch it on TV, and it is on TV fairly often, yes. you know, let's be honest, that is a movie I am absolutely stopping uh, to watch, and that's you know, two hours and 45 minutes that I know I'm just not getting back. You're going to send somebody to the Phil Knight Invitational to see a whole bunch of basketball games with that answer. So feel good about it <laughs> next time you're watching, uh, you know, Andy Dufresne get busy living. Um, all right, let me ask you, this is, a, this is an interesting race with UCLA, USC, Oregon, and Utah. Um, how much talking about it is happening in your, among your readership with, the, you know, the teams that are involved in the scenarios? Or is it more just, hey, Utah, there's a lot of ball to play. Utah has to win went out to be part of this conversation. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. There seems to be this feeling, uh, I don't want to lump the entire fan base together, but there is absolutely a, a corner of this fan base that is penciling in Arizona and Stanford as wins. Now, you can probably do that against Stanford, 
but I would not be so quick to just pencil in Arizona as a win. We saw what the Wildcats did pushing USC to the limit last week. James Delora has been very, very good for Jetfish. Uh, they're not really playing a ton of defense, but there is enough uh, firepower on offense that, you know, they can score some points. And I would not rule it out against against Utah's secondary, which has been which has been good. But remember, look, R.J. Hubert is uh, suspended for the first half after getting banged for targeting in the second half against Washington State. Uh, Clark Phillips has been terrific, but, you know, J.T. Broughton, uh, all-pack 12 cornerback in 2020, has not, has not quite looked like the guy that he was. So, you know, this game Saturday against Arizona, it feels a little, you know, there's certainly some upset vibes to it, just, again, based on what Arizona was able to do against USC and Delora, and, you know, they're better than they were last year. I don't think Arizona can walk into Rice-Eccles on a Saturday night and get it done, but it should at least be considered. I don't think the fan base should, should just be penciling this in as a win. Um, I, think, I think all told, I, I, I certainly think that eyes are, eyes are veering towards Eugene on November 19th, and you know people understand what is at stake. They know what's coming. Um, and, look, my personal opinion, you know, I, I like Utah – no matter who plays, right, whether Rising plays or doesn't play and Tavion and all these guys, I, I, I just think Utah has too much for Arizona, and I think Utah, whoever plays, I think they have too much for Stanford. I do not think that Utah can walk into Austin in, 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 in three weeks and deal with Oregon unless guys get healthy, unless they have Rising, uh, you know, at health and Makai Bernard, you know, and Dalton Kincaid is a huge piece of the puzzle. So, you know, we have to get to, you know, um, we have to get to Oregon first. We have to get to November 19th. So there's, you know, there's some things to take care of first. Um, this game Saturday strikes me as, at least on paper, I, I, I have talked myself into this could be um, a better game than maybe some of us are thinking on paper. Yeah, I'm looking at that game, and then the nightcap, the UCLA-Arizona State game could have some implications, but I still think UCLA is going to win that. I know Utah probably like to see Arizona State win that, but I still think there's some interesting games. Oregon going to Colorado, not happening, but tomorrow night, Oregon State, Washington, that could be a fun one for the conference. Newman, you do a great job. I appreciate you making time for us. Uh, get busy living, and uh, I will uh, see you down the road. <laughs> Thanks so much, John. Appreciate there it. There he is. Salt Lake Tribune. Follow him on Twitter. He's a great follow. He's a good read. If you uh, want to know what's going on with Utah football, Josh Newman is somebody you want to follow and read. Uh, we got a special guest coming up. Mike Sanford, Jr., the coach at Colorado, is going to join us. We'll talk to him. He's got his hands full with the Oregon Ducks. He's next. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. On Saturday in Boulder, it will be Oregon at Colorado. That game will kick off at 12.30 Pacific time on ESPN. Here to talk about it, Mike Sanford, Jr. He's the coach at Colorado. Hey, welcome, Coach. Thanks for making time. Hey, I appreciate you having me on, John. You bet. Uh, all right, you, you're looking at Oregon on film. Uh, I don't know if that's fun or not, but what do you see when you look at Oregon? See a really good roster. Um, you know, see, um, you know, a really good defensive front. Uh, you know, probably first-round draft pick at linebacker. And just honestly, I think it's just one of the most 
We're having some issues with his phone. So I'm going to have Judah take a look at that and talk to him a little bit about his phone. But obviously, if you are uh, game planning for Oregon and you are Colorado, um, I want to, I got to ask him this. Like, you know, look, you, you've got to sell belief to your team. You're, you're playing at home. But what are, what are the, if you can compartmentalize some goals, what are those compartmentalized goals when you look at uh, trying to break down Oregon if you're Colorado? Um, because this is a Colorado team playing with an interim coach. It's a Colorado team that is, uh, you know, seemingly overmatched on paper. Um, but and it's a team that it, you know, one and seven for the season, uh, one and four in conference play. Did get the win over Cal in overtime. Uh, but uh, you know, as they say, uh, there are no gimmies in uh, sports. No gimmies in college football for sure. Um, uh, are we working on getting Mike Sanford Jr. back here? Uh, we we just about okay. So. Um, I hate that when we have that happen because he's on a tight schedule and he was not originally planning to be on the show and then kind of came out of left field and he said, hey, I I got time for it. Let's do it. And so uh, we called an audible and uh, we're popping him on here. But I I think it's interesting. Like, look, if you're in his position as an interim coach, how are your goals different than maybe a full-time coach? And how do you sort of channel the enthusiasm of your roster while you're uh, while you're trying to get this uh, get this thing lined up, so yeah, and that, that's the thing, Judd. You're saying as an interim coach, like you're not only coaching for the team that you're for, but you're working for yourself, like to try to get yes. you know, a job, the next job. So I think it, you know, and okay. he's done a really good job of getting that team motivated. All right, we got him back now. Hey, coach, sorry about that. We got you back. Um, you know, when you look on film, what do you see? Yeah, I see uh, incredibly talented roster across the board. You know, I see um, a quarterback that, that's had a lot of experience, and, you know, I think they're doing a really good job getting him in rhythm. Um, you know, I think the combination of, of being in empty sets and empty backfields and um, getting early completions has been a big big deal for them. And then, you know, I know this. I know they're running back, uh, Bucky Irving, personally very well, called a lot of ball plays for him a year ago at Minnesota. Um, you know, he's a tremendous young talent, and they're using him well. Not just in the run game, but in the pass game, and you know this is this is as good of a roster as we've seen, and I think we will teams after after next weekend when we play uh, USC. The you know when you look across the conference, it you know you guys are sitting here and you're an interim coach. You got maybe a different role as you inherited the head coaching position midseason, but what, where's the mindset of your team? How motivated? How focused do they feel to you right now? Uh, I'd say incredibly motivated, um, which is insane, right? It doesn't sound like we should be at, at the spot we're at. Um, you know, we've we've made a big push uh, these last, you know, three weeks to to just make this about creating memories. Uh, we created a fantastic memory, obviously, coming out of a an 0-5 start and, and winning at Folsom Field against Cal. And Cal was one of the hot teams in the conference after, after what they did to Arizona. And, uh, you know, we had a really good week of practice. Uh, I thought we showed a lot of signs of growth. Uh, in the Arizona State game, um, just didn't it wasn't tangibly marked by a win. But um, if you came to one of our practices, you wouldn't see a team that's one and seven. The uh, you know you got to 34 points in that game, and I think that was a big breakthrough for an offense that had been struggling a little bit. What what went right against Arizona State? Uh, you know, I, I think it, it's the youth growing up before our eyes. You know, we had um, in different parts this this season. I think we've had upwards of five starters on offense that were redshirt or true freshmen. I think four of which were true freshmen. But just seeing that growth, um, you know, here we are. We're at eight games. This is where we need to see the growth, and um, and and we're starting to see it. And obviously, it's going to be a tough a tough challenge. Um, but I think it's really important for us to continue to grow 
um, and uh, and that's been the case. And so it's been it's been fun to watch their confidence um, grow in themselves. You know, it's you've called plays at Notre Dame, you've been at Western Kentucky, you've been at Boise State, where you played quarterback, and uh, you were also at Stanford as well. So you've been around a little bit and see it done a different ways. Your dad also was a coach, uh, former UNLV and Indiana State head coach. Um, so when you when you draw on this and you get into the role of interim coach, it's not like you're unfamiliar with having done this or or, or seen it done in other places. Where do what are you drawing upon? What influences are you drawing upon that you've had along the way? You know, I've been really fortunate not only growing up as a as a kid in this game, but also you know having experiences working under head coaches like Jim Harbaugh, David Shaw, Brian Kelly, um, you know uh, Willie Taggart. Um, you know, there, there's been a lot of PJ Fleck, you know, I, I feel like I've, I've picked something up from each one of them. And then I actually had a chance to, at the age of 33 years to, to, you know, to be a head coach myself and, um, put together my own philosophy and some of the things that I needed to grow in. So, um, I think the thing that I've done is, is make this truly about the players and their growth, um, both in their accountability, but also in, in the enjoyment of football. I think that's an important piece when you're in the situation we're in. And then secondly, just continue to steward this program forward. And then, um, you know, and, and that's important for me. I, I want I love this place. I think it's a place that should be successful and has been successful and, and frankly will be successful uh, in the very short term in, in the near future. All right. I, I always ask this question of coaches, and, you know, maybe you're a quarterback guy, so you're, you know, the answer might be obvious. But I can give you a player, just a, a star player at any one position, are you picking a defensive tackle, an offensive lineman, a defensive back, a linebacker, or quarterback, or what position? What are we starting with? Are, are you talking about in the draft? It, yeah, well, just as a college head coach, I can give you a five-star guy that is a difference maker. What position pops into your mind as that is the building block for a team? You know, I would say quarterback. Um, you know, just at, at every level, if you got a quarterback, I think the NFL is so indicative of it. I think even Oregon's success this year um, relative to a year ago, uh, I think it has a lot to do with, you know, their quarterback play. I think, I think that, that that is one of those pieces that does galvanize the team, gives the team belief, and knows if the game's tight that you can go you can go win a game in the fourth quarter. All right. Uh, you guys, uh, you have, you'll get to see Oregon. You'll get to see USC. You've already seen Oregon State. Uh, give us an idea coming out of the Oregon State game. What, what did they do particularly well in your mind? They're, they're, they're to me like the model of what I believe college football should be from regards to seeing the development and continuity of a, of a coaching staff. And you really, I really felt it and saw it on the sidelines in their O-line, D-line, linebacker, tight end play. Um, really physical football team. You know, I was a part of Stanford uh, during the run of, of Rose Bowl, Rose Bowl, Orange Bowl, Fiesta Bowl, that era. And it was all done with smash mouth football being the most physical team in the conference. And, you know, I think Utah's really cornered that market over the course of the last 10 years or seven, eight years, uh, I think Oregon State's entering into that fray with their O-line and D-line play. All right. Coach, I wish you the best this weekend. Thanks for hanging with us as the phone issue was going on, and, and good luck to you against Oregon. Yeah, the Rocky Mountains are a little wild place. I know. Man. Anywhere you drive in this area, it's a little wild. So, um, yeah. yeah, we got, we got a, a nice uh, fresh coat of about 8 to 14 inches of snow up in the mountains. So um, all, all the ducks will we'll look forward to seeing that. So it'll be well. fun. Will it, will weather be a factor in this game, or you know, is it no, settled it, settled down? Typical Boulder, typical yeah. Boulder. It'll it'll snow today, and then it'll be beautiful on on a Folsom Folsom Saturday. That's kind of how it goes around here most most Saturdays. 
There you go. All right, Coach, thanks for making time. Appreciate you. Oh, I appreciate you guys. Thank you. All right, there's Mike Sanford, Jr., Colorado coach. There he is. Uh, good stuff. I love that. Uh, snow on the ground, I think it, it would be Colorado's best chance to ugly up this game. But I, think, I just think Oregon's got too many weapons, too deep. Um, and Colorado's just in a different place. And I think if you look at Colorado, like it wasn't that long ago that we were having this same conversation talking you know, about Oregon State in the rebuild. So I think it's interesting to hear him talk about Jonathan Smith and Oregon State as they remind him a little bit of the Jim Harbaugh, David Shaw, early David Shaw, Stanford teams. I want you to leave it here. Our big splash is coming up. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. In the 4 o'clock hour, we will give away a pair of tickets to the Phil Knight Invitational. Phil Knight Classic. Uh, for someone who was listening to the Josh Newman interview earlier in the show, we talked about Utah football a little bit. We're going to talk about the rest of the Pac-12 games coming up in the 4 o'clock hour as well, and some of them here. Uh, uh, let's start with uh, this question. Uh, Judah Newby and Stephen, I want to talk about Oregon State because they are playing the Friday game. Uh, we will be broadcasting live tomorrow from Husky Stadium. But uh, if you're talking about Oregon State, uh, we are uh, talking about what makes a good season for Oregon State. They are 6-2, and 3-2 and two in conference play. Uh, they're sitting as just about the number five team in the conference in a fifth-place tie with Washington. And what makes a good season in your mind, Judah? Stephen, for Oregon State, what makes a great season? What's the difference? Yeah, you know, being being bowl eligible already, I think that's a huge step. But now you look at the rest of their schedule. Uh, I think if you get to eight wins, I think that's a good, successful season, right? Anything above eight, I think that's almost overachieving. Going into the season, you know, Vegas had right at five and a half, six, six and a half, right around there. You've already met that number, so I. And it, and from the start of the year, you could tell this team was better than what we thought going into the season. The defense has made improvements, made strides, and now even with a backup quarterback, you're still winning games. I think the expectation is eight. If they get above that, it's overachieving. If they get under that, it's underachieving. Uh, and that you know, and then that doesn't include the bowl game, right? So I think the bowl game is a different story. But regular season, you go eight and four. I think it's a great season. Yeah, it's, that's kind of interesting, right? I feel like the bowl game matters because the bowl game left such a bad taste in my mouth last year. After a seven and you know five year, and it was like, oh man, like this team is good. They're a touchdown favorite against Utah State, who ended up playing a backup quarterback, and they didn't look good. And that left a bad taste in my mouth. I would say winning your bowl game and getting to eight wins is a good, you know, is is a good thing to reach for, especially with Ben Goldbranson at quarterback. Like, keep in mind, they've got bowl eligible before Halloween without Luke Musgrave and without their starting quarterback. That's pretty damn good. I will say one other thing I want to see for a very successful season is to at least make the game against Oregon competitive. It needs to be competitive, no L- doubt. Last season it was not very competitive down Eugene. You get them in Corvallis where Oregon State has played really well. I think you got to play that game really competitive and get those eight wins. I think it's a great season. I'd be surprised if they're not competitive in that game. I cannot wait for that football game. Yeah, I, I think uh, that game that game against Oregon being at Research Stadium is huge for Oregon State. Uh, I think the bowl game does matter, given last year, because you want to have growth, right? And so last year, what was it? It was seven wins. It was just getting to a bowl game. That was winning. But so now I feel like they got to get to eight-plus, 
and then it is winning the bowl game. Yeah. Doesn't that make sense? It's I, not just it's not enough just to get eight wins. I totally agree here, and that's that's the thing. I mean, last year is such a kind of a bummer finish. Like growth would be finishing with a statement win in the bowl game, and it's going to be a better bowl game, all things considered, than the Jimmy Kimmel L.A. Bowl. So get to a better bowl game and win that sucker against a better quality opponent. I think that puts a nice stamp on what you're trying to grow with Oregon State. And I think that's the floor of what they can accomplish here, frankly, because there's a version of this where, say they win Friday night, Cal and Arizona State, you're better than those teams. Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing. Don't stub your toe in some stupid way against a team that you're better than, like Cal. And I know I mentioned to you, John, the the Arizona State road trip precedes the Oregon game, and that just gives me kind of bad juju but from the don't you feel like oregon state should be should be an eight win team minimally yeah. when it heads to the game against oregon at the end of the season yes two yeah they should be so uw cal asu you get two out of those three yeah i, I agree but with you guys yeah. well are we really taking the bowl game that seriously I, I feel like it shouldn't be it shouldn't be that way like the lot so many weird things happen in bowl games whether guys sit out or they just aren't motivated like i don't want to take that too seriously i think it's more of a regular season thing and getting to that 8-9 win threshold, I think, is just so much more important than actually winning that bowl game and being competitive against Oregon. Like, the bowl game, I think, you know, it's fun. It's an accomplishment. But for me, like, it's not that important. It normally isn't. But I think for Oregon State it might be just because they hadn't been to a bowl game. You know, they had, they had that long drought before last year. And then they got there, and it was such a disappointment to lose the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl to Utah State. Like, that was a winnable game for them, and they lost it. So I kind of feel like they got to go to a better bowl game. Like they, you know, maybe it's an Alamo Bowl, maybe it's a, you know, a Vegas Bowl, uh, maybe even the Sun Bowl is a step up from there. Uh, I think the Rose Bowl is probably going to be reserved for whoever doesn't get into the playoff. But there's a bowl game out there for them that's better. And I normally agree with you that, like, yeah, you can't put a lot of stock in it. They don't really matter. But I think when you look at this season, this team, it. It feels like that would be, you know, it could be a shot to get to 10 wins. Like, yeah. you know, they could be sitting on nine wins. What would a 10-win season do for them recruiting when Jonathan Smith goes back out and says, hey, uh, you know, come play at Oregon State. We won 10 games last year. is a different conversation than, than nine games or eight games. Yeah, I was going to say that. If they're, if they're nine and three going to that bowl game, then I think maybe I would think the bowl game is a little more important right. just to get that, you know, the arbitrary 10 wins. But... Yeah, I like. I just don't. I just don't want to put too much pressure on the bowl game. So many weird things have happened. I mean, remember Utah beat Alabama back in the day. Uh, Boise State beat Oklahoma. Like, just weird things happen. So I don't want to put too much pressure on that bowl game. I don't think it really matters to how successful this season was. The fact that they've lost two games to Utah, USC, probably should have beat USC. Uh, and you're going with one loss right now. I mean, that it's. I think it's been a successful year, but you got to get to at least eight. To cap it off. Our friend Brett McMurphy, Action Network, he is always bull projecting. He has Oregon State projected for the uh, Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl mm-hmm. in El Paso uh, against Duke. And Duke's actually been good this year. That's a winnable game, though. Yeah. It's a winnable game. They got a new coach. Duke does. But uh, McMurphy has a betting line of Oregon State minus 9.5 against the Duke Blue Devils. 
So I don't know. Obviously, the Beavs. You've probably covered them uh, in El Paso before. Yeah, I know they they had that infamous one as a kid against Lashawn McCoy and Pitt, right? Nine uh, six. Oregon State won that Sun Bowl, so it'd be kind of fun for them to go back there and maybe score more points than that. Maybe it was yeah. six to three. It was super. Uh, low I thought scoring. it was three zero to be honest. Oh, it was three zero. Man, yeah, I was giving I'm, them more credit. I'm trying to think. That was uh, that was 2008, yeah. and it was three zip over Pitt. Yeah, I'm looking at <laughs> yeah. it right here. Three to zero. Lyle. Just Justin Kahoot. Lyle Moival, <laughs> MVP. Yeah. It was a weird day because I, I want to say the, the wind was just howling that day, that it was a, just a weird, really weird game and uh, that there was a bunch of, uh, you know, it was the lowest scoring bowl game since 1959, by the way. <laughs> Only points were scored on a field goal. And by the way, it was a botched hold on the field goal. I don't know if people remember that it uh, the hold was bad, and they still got the kickoff, and he made it. So, and the village people performed at halftime. So that was the <laughs> that was the uh, highlight of that. They had three more points than the village people. Well, but that yeah. kind of goes my point of like the Barely. bowl games shouldn't matter, right? Like three... they shouldn't. But for this program, look, the last time they won a bowl game was 2013. They won the Hawaii Bowl. Well, yeah. and I'll also say what Josh Newman say. He said, "Hey, Utah's kind of." cornered the market on the physical, you know, continuity side of things and said, I see Oregon State getting there. Well, what else is Kyle Whittingham good at? Winning bowl games. I think there is something to owning a bowl game and doing it well as part of the next step. I won't I, I agree with John. For this program, for this moment, I think it's it's important, but by and large, you try to discount the importance of winning a bowl game. I guess. Yeah, you downplay, you downplay, you downplay until, and, and you know, <laughs> if you win it, then you go, you know, that was really important to us. Uh, so we're going to talk about the Pac-12 games of the week coming up in the four o'clock hour. Plus, if you were listening earlier in the three o'clock hour, you are uniquely, uh, uh, you are uniquely uh, qualified to win the Phil Knight Invitational, Phil Knight Classic tickets. You know what I'm talking about because you were here. Uh, if you weren't here, you need to get here and stay here. That's how you uh, get the advantage. So coming up at the 4 o'clock hour, we'll go through our picks for the week. By the way, I am 12-2 and two in my last 14 Pac-12 games against no the spread. No pressure. I am on fire. in the. Lo- I have one loss that was by a half a point in there. So uh, I am knocking on wood. I'm going to find some. Uh, here it is. I'm knocking on wood right now on the on the studio console. And we're going to give our picks coming up. I want you to leave it here. you got the bald-faced truth statewide on the BFT radio network. Our picks coming up. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. The picks are in. My picks are in. Steven's picks are in. Judah's picks are in. You know, they say the fix is in. No, no. The picks are in. But before I get to uh, the picks, I got to tell you guys, I like to, as a public service, tell you uh, what movies not to see. See, that should have been a whole thing. Like, Siskel and Ebert used to do a thing where they would say, you know, at the movies. This was back in the day, and they'd give you all the movie reviews on TV. It was like before... It was before Flickster or Rotten Tomatoes and all that. So uh, part of the reason why you watched Siskel and Ebert is they told you, like, oh, this movie was really bad. You shouldn't go see it. We saw a movie last night that was pretty bad. It was uh, George Clooney and Julia Roberts. Ticket to Paradise. You guys seen this thing? It's out in the movies. Uh, No, I've not seen it. 
Okay, I'm going to save you right now. I know you love Julia Roberts. <laughs> Don't go see it. It's a cute little, uh, cute little premise for a movie. They're a couple that doesn't get along. Husband and wife divorce. Their daughter finishes law school. She goes off to uh, Bali. She falls in love with a seaweed, seaweed farmer. And she wants to marry him, and then uh, she's bringing her parents in for the wedding, and they're plotting to try to get them not to get married. Uh, it just doesn't work. First of all, the script is bad. Second of all, George Clooney and Julia Roberts, maybe not that great of actors. Can I say that? <laughs> Can I say, like, they're, they're name brands, but, you know, if they were recruits, they'd be three-star recruits, they're the not five-star yeah, I don't know Texas, if it's that Texas good. Texas Longhorns. See that? How can you say? How do you can say Clooney a three star? He's not a great actor. He's a name. He's he's all right. He's good looking. He's I mean. a silver fox. <laughs> but does that have to? Does that count for his acting? It's, it's just good looking. It was a bad script. Well, it yeah, wasn't. I, yeah. You know, the dialogue's bad. The are chemistry between them are bad. How? What? It was. Aren't they like a power couple? Like, did they used no. to actually date? Date? I told Anna, I said, you know, would it have mattered if you put, like, uh, different actors in the roles? Jason Bateman, Kristen Bell, could they have pulled off the same routine? I think they would have been better. But she says, no, I think the script was bad, too, on top of that. So it was, uh, the movie was just, you know, it was, just, they were not believable. I, I never forgot they were acting. You know what I mean? Like, you ever watch a movie and you're, you never forget that it's George Clooney and Julia Roberts acting? Yeah. Yeah. You see, was this just like a uh, a money grab then for them? I think so. I think that's what it was. And I think it felt to me like whoever produced this movie invested all the money in Clooney and Roberts. They put no money in the script. They put no money in the location. They put no money in the supporting cast. Like it, it just – it fell flat in a number of ways. It was just the low, low humor, not believable. And p part of acting – look – I'm not an actor, but part of acting is I have to forget that you're an actor when I'm watching the movie. Like, I, I want to get lost in it. I want to find somebody to root for. Who was I rooting for in this movie? I wasn't rooting for anybody. I was rooting for me to get through this movie. Well, I feel like, you know, back maybe in the mid-2000s, it was more just about the names, right? Like, you just got to get a big name and it was going to produce a lot of money. Where now, I think, uh, as a culture, we're more sophisticated with our movies. Like, we want to see actual good acting and good, you know, good stories. Not just about yeah. the names. Maybe. Perhaps. What was your uh, what was your snack game, your drink game last night? What do you mean? Oh, my, my uh, I always get the, I always take the Regulator in there with me. I read about that. People know that. I wrote it. Yeah, I wrote it today. If you want to read it, you can read it at johnconzano.com. But I wrote about the regular. In the late 90s, Regal Cinemas offered up this 32-ounce plastic cup. I've talked about it on the show before, but the whole premise was you paid 20 bucks for the cup, and then for in perpetuity, you got $1 refills at the movie theater. So you don't pay. Well, I don't know what a soda costs anymore. What does a soda cost when you go to the movies? I don't know because I pay a dollar. 50 cents. Yeah, I pay, I, I pay a dollar. And I don't even like soda. I just like the deal. So I... Uh, you don't like soda? What anymore. I've, I've kind of grown out of it. You know, once I realized it wasn't good for me, it's a lot of sugar. Yeah, I, yeah. But, but I, you know, if you're getting popcorn, then... Uh, so what I like to do, okay, this is the whole racket. I get the Regal app, 
and I buy the movie tickets through the app so I get the points, okay? Then I go to the concession stand and I redeem. This is the trick, okay? You do a small popcorn with your points. It's $1, all right? Then, uh, or excuse me, it's a free small popcorn. Then for you can upgrade it for a dollar. So you can upgrade it to a large for a dollar. Then I bring the two Regal Cups that I own. That's right, I got two. And I get the two sodas. And then I say to the guy, I'll, uh, I'll fill these up with Coke or whatever, Pepsi, whatever you're serving today. And uh, my total for a tub of popcorn and two sodas is $3. That nice. is not bad. That's not bad at all. Have and I'll say, I'll say about, to the guy, yeah. I go, excuse me, how much is it? He'll say $3. And I say, how much? $3. Okay. <laughs> Just for those of you in the back that couldn't hear how much was this? No, $3. Mark Mason, did you hear that? $3. Yeah, and so that, that's what I wrote about today is the only other person I've found that owns one of these regulator cups is Mark Mason, the PA announcer at Blazer Game. He happened to be in front of us in line one day at the theater, and he ordered a soda, and I looked, and I was like, oh, you have one too. And he was like, yes. And he said, I used to have two, but he gave one to his daughter. She went to the movies. She used it, and she left it in the cup holder in the movie theater and walked out. Oh, no. <laughs> she forgot it. I would do that for sure. Special kind of pain. So ever since then, I'm terribly anxious when we go to the movies about leaving it behind. And, and uh, so Anna created this bag that we carry them in that has regulator embroidered on the side of the bag. So I, I bring the cups in the bag into the theater, right? Then when I'm leaving the theater, I have to grab the bag. I can't leave the bag. So I grab the bag, and it reminds me, hey, do you have your cups? That's the way to do it. Yeah, it's probably smart. Was Either that Bridgeport? or Bridgeport. Yeah. This uh, no, I just uh, yeah, I think last yeah last night we were at we were at Bridgeport Village. I've, I've right, lost exit two ninety. Many yep. things at the Bridgeport Theater. <laughs> I don't know what it is about that theater, but or the whole village, frankly, I just leave things behind. Well, you would think like the I think the movies is an easy place to lose things. You can lose your glasses, you can lose your wallet. I bet you they find. I bet the lost and found at a movie theater is a whole you know oh. circus of things. Like you know, have you ever been to a movie and you hear? people who are opening things that shouldn't be in the movie theater <laughs> like you'll hear a bottle open and then or maybe they drop the bottle and yeah. it rolls and it's like <laughs> rang, dong, dong, down the steps the rolling bottles and you're like everyone starts laughing uh, excuse me yeah but anyway save yourself the money here's the thing i'm just going to tell you don't see ticket to paradise in a theater save it watch it on video when it comes out um sneaky i, I rated a 55 out of the 100 so don't see it um, a sneaky good movie we saw recently was Amsterdam. That one was sneaky, you know, and and pretty had some good performances in it. Um, before that, um, trying to think what else we've seen. Margot. Oh, Taylor Swift is in it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to ruin it, but uh, and Margot Robbie. Wow. Yeah, something happens to to uh, Taylor Swift. Oh. Early in the movie, and I do like John David Washington, so yes. that's cool. That I I would I think that one is Amsterdam is sneaky good. You you're way better off seeing Amsterdam than you are seeing Ticket to Paradise. Okay, you gave Ticket to Paradise a fifty five. That's yeah. a that's a no go. Like I you know I'm still relatively new on the show. What, eighty or above is to see it in the theater. Okay, yeah. I just need to know for reference. So for it's next nowhere time. near close yeah, to so see it. So it's even to debatable see it. to see it when it's you know on streaming. Yeah. Okay. Um, we saw Don't Worry Darling in uh, the theaters as well. That is the one uh, with Harry Styles in it. Um, I wasn't a big fan of that one either. And, 
And then we saw Confess Fletch with John Hamm. Again, it's my job to see these movies so you don't have to. That's it's he he doesn't pull it off. He's it's not Chevy Chase as Fletch. So uh, John Hamm didn't do it for me in the uh, in Fletch. So there there you have it. There's our movie uh, rankings of uh, the day. Now let's get to the Pac-12 games. All right, Oregon State is at Washington. Friday night game, 7.30 ESPN2. Guys, weather forecast, uh, rain, gusting winds, Husky Stadium. You heard Jonathan Smith earlier in the week. He said, look, uh, if we have the wind going and it's wet, we're not going to mind it. This is a pass-happy team in Washington against a running team in Oregon State. But uh, home favorites are 34-1 and in the Pac-12, and Washington's a home favorite. I'm bucking the trend on this one. Washington's a four-and-a-half-point favorite. I'm taking Oregon State in the points. I think Oregon State's going to win the game, and I think it's weather. And then the other thing that I think is Washington hasn't beat anybody good, and I think Oregon State's good. I, uh, I'm i going to disagree with you. I, I feel good about Washington winning this game. I already, ma- I already made the bet at minus four-and-a-half. Uh, here's my thinking on it with just the weather. I think the weather's going to be a big problem for Oregon State. I don't think they want to put the hands of Ben Goldbrinson to really throw the football. And I know the Oregon State offense and the running game has been going. But Washington, 19th in the nation in yards per rush given up. And then 21st in the nation uh, just rushing yards per game defensively. I think Washington can load the box up and make Goldbrinson beat them. And I don't know that he's ready to go up to Husky Stadium and win a game like that against Washington. So I think Washington, I like DeBoer. I think he's still going to be able to get the offense going a little bit, even with the weather. Uh, you're going to get it to their playmakers and let it go. I think Washington wins this game uh, by a touchdown. Oregon State's had some close losses in Seattle, haven't they? Uh, and the the pandemic year, right? A couple years ago, their last trip up there, that was one of the more difficult finishes and difficult losses up there. I'm with you, Stephen. I'm with you. I think, and I love betting Oregon State and and you know picking them in big moments. This is more of like just a feel thing. You know, not many stats or what have you. Washington being, you know, poor defensively, that's true, but they're coming off a bye week as well. I think they're going to, you know, have some things sorted out that they worked on. They're at home. You know, they've got, you know, they're still a good coaching staff. Penix is obviously a good player. This just feels like the chance for, for the Beavers. If they had a really good quarterback and if they had Luke Musgrave, I would pick them to win. But this game, I think, will come out of it Saturday saying the Beavs were a QB and Luke Musgrave short of winning this football game. And that's just how it feels to me. Like, going and being this tough, you know, the Stanford game, they should have lost that game. And you know UW is way better than Stanford. So that gives me pause. I don't know if Ben Goldbranson, and he could prove me wrong, but I don't know if he is the guy to go into Seattle on a Friday night off a of bye week where you've just been ranked in the CFP and the AP poll and get it done. And that's why I'm picking Washington to win the game. Wow. I uh, I don't know why all the hate for Oregon State is on this show right now. I just, look, Washington's better than Stanford, but Washington was at home in that game. If Oregon State was at home in that game, I think they would have boat raced Stanford. So I, I don't feel, I think the only shot Washington has to run away with this game is if the weather, and I, I checked in with Matt Zafino, our weather expert, and I said, look, what kind of weather should we be expecting? I'm looking at weather.com. Can I trust it? He says, mailstorm, heavy rain, winds will top 30 miles an hour, maybe 40 miles an hour. 
That said, he said the worst of it may be south of Seattle by game time. So that, I think, is what Washington's going to bank on because Michael Penix Jr. in 30-mile-an-hour wins, uh-uh, not doing it against a defensive backfield that I think is, is very experienced. Let's go to Colorado, Oregon, Saturday, 1230 ESPN. Uh, Oregon's looking for some style points in this one. I like Oregon. I like Oregon big. Their offense is averaging 45 points per game. I know that Dan Lanning has not appeared interested in running up the score, but I think you got Kenny Dillingham in this game. He's auditioning a little bit for, you know, a, uh, a job at Arizona State. The problem is Oregon is favored by 31 and a half. We heard Mike Sanford earlier. I don't see it. I think it's 50 to 14 Oregon. I think the Ducks cover 31 and a half. Yeah, I think the Ducks roll this game, but I'm going to take the 31 and a half. I just think it's too many points uh, up in Bulger, where you know, as we t- you you talked to Josh Newman, like the weather's always kind of weird. It's uh, you know the up there with the uh, the elevation. Just a little different. I think 31 and a half is just too much. I think Oregon wins maybe by 31, 28 points. I think they put it on. They're going to score at least 40, 45 points. Uh, I think Colorado can get 14. I'm going to take the Buffs plus the 31 and a half. Good for you. Uh, Judah. Yeah, I take Oregon, and I think Oregon gets to 60 themselves. Woo. I know the, the total is at 60, where is it, 63? I think the Ducks could get to 60. Maybe a pick six involved. How about a Christian Gonzalez? Pick six at his former stomping grounds. I'd love to see that. Or a special team score of some kind. I, I think Oregon shows up. They dominate. And a sneaky part of this game is it's on ESPN. Like, you know, an Oregon 31-point spread typically is not going on ESPN at 1230 on a Saturday. This is ESPN saying, look, Oregon, you are the eighth-best team in the country. We know Colorado stinks, but we're still going to give you prime real estate right here, 1230 ESPN. Like, I know I said early in the week that style points, you know, don't really matter right now, but I feel like they kind of do <laughs> at this particular spot. It'll be going on at the same time as the Tennessee-Georgia game. You know, how about Oregon blows the doors off Colorado at the same time that Georgia takes care of business against Tennessee, and now you've really helped your cause in the span of three hours. There you go. The rest of the game's coming up. We'll rip through the rest of the Pac-12 schedule, including Washington State, Stanford, Arizona, Utah, Cal, USC, and UCLA, ASU. Too many vowels and consonants there. All right, leave it here. The rest of the picks next. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Ripping through the Pac-12 picks. Plus, coming up, I'll give you a chance to win PK Invitational PK Classic Tickets. Let's move on. Uh, we already did uh, Oregon State at Washington. Uh, you guys disagree with me. I think Oregon State wins that game. You guys are haters. You think Washington wins that game. Uh, I think Oregon is going to boat race Colorado. I think we have a little bit of a consensus there, although Oregon has given up 31.5 points. Let's move on to Washington State at Stanford, 1230, Pac-12 Networks. Washington State has taken a lot of criticism in recent weeks. They have not scored points. Uh, I think there's a lot of people that don't think this game, that either team will get to 20. That's just the way it's been. Stanford's been like 15-14, 16-13. Washington State's been struggling too. I think this is the bounce-back game for Washington State. They're at Stanford. I think they find some mojo in this game. I have it 27-21 Washington State. I think they cover the four and a half points. I think they win the game. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, you know, I know it's at Stanford. And that's where Stanford's been a little bit successful, right? They played well against Oregon State. They beat Arizona State there. 
but I just can't trust Stanford anymore. And I agree with you. The offense has been really bad. It's been disappointing. You know, you thought Tanner McKee would be a little bit better this season. He hasn't done it. Uh, I think Washington State gets the win by seven. And they cover the spread. Joe Danube. You can't trust Stanford anymore. How about not trusting Washington State true, anymore? True. I mean, like, they beat Wisconsin. You know, it's so high on them. They played Oregon so well. Should have beaten Oregon. Wazoo. Should have beaten the Ducks. And, you know, given what we think of the Ducks right now, like, shouldn't that count for something? And yet I'm I'm stuck here just like what have you been doing Wazoo? Now you're sitting here at 4 and 4, you're 1 and 4 in conference. This team should not be 1 and 4 in conference. It's it's been disappointing, I think. Um my pick, look, I was going to take Wazoo, but you both took Wazoo. Wazoo should not be a unanimous pick on any three-man show ever. <laughs> so I will take Stanford uh, just out of principle. I'll take Stanford 23 to 20. Arizona's at Utah 4:30 Pac-12 Networks. Uh we talked a little bit with Josh Newman earlier again i look at the parts at utah every week i look at the parts and i go offensive line eh, running backs unreliable wide receivers so so tight ends are great but they're hobbling quarterback is an mvp candidate but he was a scratch last week andy ludwig the coordinator has done a great job utah in this game is a 17 and a half point favorite at rice eccles stadium i normally would pick utah but i think they're so banged up that Arizona hangs around, and I, you know, I think Arizona will score in this game. So I have Arizona getting to 31, but I think Utah only gets to 42. It means they win the game, but I would take Arizona in the 17 and a half. Yeah, yesterday when we were just talking it out, I liked Arizona plus the points, but that was me thinking Cam Rise is not going to play. You talked to Josh Newman. He said he would lean that Cam Rising would play, and he said he's not. he is a gambler. If he had to bet on it and he's a gambler, he would say that. So I'm going to take that as, uh, as gospel. And I'm going to take uh, Cam Rises and the Utah Utes. I think that they just uh, they truck Arizona. They cover the spread up there at Utah, and uh, they win by at least 20. I'm going to go with Josh Newman's lean on this. He was telling Utes fans, hey, don't overlook the Wildcats. And uh, I was kind of overlooking the Wildcats, but I think Josh knows what he's talking about. I'll lean Arizona to cover the 17-and-a-half. Uh, Cam Rising coming back, that's great. How healthy is he? And I, by the way, got a little bad vibes with Kyle Whittingham last Thursday night. Hey, this is Cam's decision. Cam is Cam didn't want to play, and I completely trust Cam. That sounds to me like a guy looking out for his NFL future, not jeopardizing his health for a college football game this year, which is fine. I don't hold that against him. Smells a little weird. Uh, yeah, I don't like the murkiness no, of it. It's murky. Yeah. And yeah. and I don't think Kyle was ha- I don't think Kyle was happy that Cam didn't play. And the process of how that pulled out. But he did say it was completely Cam's decision. I, I don't know. It just smells murky enough. I'll take Arizona plus 17 and a half. I uh, agree with that. Let's move on. Uh, Cal's at USC, 730 ESPN. Jack Plummer's the quarterback at Cal. I looked this up. He got sacked 25 times already this season. Offensive line is terrible. USC is very aggressive and opportunistic on defense. I'm, I won't be surprised if Plummer doesn't finish this game. I think he is a pretty solid bet to turn some snaps over to the freshman we saw against Oregon last week, Kai Milner. So I think Milner will get some snaps. And I actually think Cal's a little better with Milner at quarterback. They're just a little they're a different team, a little more dynamic. He's more mobile with that offensive line. I think he, you know, he might be the better player. So uh, as much as I want to pick against USC every week, because I do think they're vulnerable, the bottom half of this conference, and Cal's on that bottom half, is just nowhere near built to exploit that. So the Trojans win, but again, just like the last game, I'll take the 21-and-a-half if I'm Cal because I think it's something like 31-17 USC over Cal. 
Uh, yeah, I, I disagree with you. I think USC covers this game, and I think it's for all the reasons you said, but it's just going to be even worse. And I, I don't, you know, Cal, you saw them last <laughs> week against Oregon. Like, they couldn't really do anything against Oregon. I think USC is going to have their way uh, offensively. And then you talked about the aggressiveness on defense, whether it's Plummer or the backup, the freshman kid. USC is going to make some plays, and that's the way they want to play. They want to be aggressive. They want to get some sacks. They want to get some picks. I think USC, they have something to prove. They still have a chance for the college football playoff. They want to make uh, you know a good impression. I think that they cover the 21-and-a-half down in L.A. You think USC is going to beat Cal by more than Oregon beat Cal? Yeah, I do. Wow. Go, Judah. I agree with Steven here. Uh Cal, Cal was up on Oregon 10-7 in the second quarter. You know, we we just remember the 42-24, but that's indicative of the avalanche that Oregon brought. I think USC brings the avalanche, but they bring it from jump, and they don't let Cal hang around at 10-7. So I like USC to win. I like USC to cover. Question for you quickly, John. Cal loses this game to USC. Cal has Oregon State on the road next week. If those are both L's, it's a six-game losing streak. Yeah, is Justin Wilcox in trouble at no. any point? No, they just extended him. They got too much money. They have too much debt. They believe in him. I don't think he's the problem there. I think the problem is, you know, look at their personnel. I just think Cal and Stanford are in trouble because of some of the academic requirements and the fact that they can't really participate in the transfer portal. But wait, you know, that's what I have a, kind of a problem with that. How can it not be his responsibility and also be a roster issue? Isn't he in charge of building the yeah, roster? You like, don't you have the. Me, if you're at Cal, if you're at Cal and Stanford, before. you cannot participate in the portal. You can't get the players that Arizona has. Twenty-one transfers in the portal. Michael Penix Jr. goes to Washington. Caleb Williams goes to USC. Cal and Stanford cannot participate. We need Stanford to dig had, into that more. Stanford got one player via transfer. It was a graduate transfer, and they created a special MBA program for the graduate transfer. It's just the academic side at UC Berkeley and the academic side at Stanford are not the same as Arizona State and Washington and the rest of this conference. And it's it's really – I wonder what's going to happen to Stanford and Cal in, in the next five years because I think they've got a real problem. They either have to relax that academic standard and they're going to have to – the academics on campus are going to have to say, hey, look, we're okay with, you know, admitting some kids that normally wouldn't be in. Maybe, you know, because they're transferring and they're not qualified to transfer in. They don't meet the academic requirements. And so it's really a, it's a huge disadvantage for David Shaw and Justin Wilcox. Yeah, they only have their pick up the Ivy League guys. You know, you got, they got to scout those Ivy League <laughs> yeah. schools and see if they have any. Uh, you got a guy from Colgate? Over. Is there a guy from Colgate that can come in and win a Heisman? How's, the, how's the Princeton quarterback? Can he come over? <laughs> it's just it's it's unfortunate because. Look at, I mean, look at Cal and Stanford combined in conference play. They're two and nine. Look out! Like I think, I think that we're we're going to, into an era here where, you know, you know, it, Jed Fish at Arizona, they got they got markedly better this year. You know, twenty one transfers. If you give David Shaw twenty one transfers at Stanford, he'd be better. But uh, you're, they're either going to have to, and, and Shaw's trying to do something. What he tried to do to combat it is the last two years were the first two years where he allowed uh, freshmen to arrive early to campus and participate in spring ball and leave high school early. They, Stanford had not allowed that in the past. So they're, they're trying some things, but that's not the same as getting Michael Penix or Caleb Williams. And, you know, let's go through the quarterbacks in this conference. It's Bo Nix at Oregon, transfer. It's Caleb Williams at USC, transfer. You got Dorian Thompson-Robinson at UCLA. He's been there. Good. 
Cam Rising, Utah, transfer. Uh, you have uh, Chance Nolan, who started the year at Oregon State, transfer. Michael Penix at Washington, transfer. Arizona State's got a transfer. Cam Ward at Washington State, transfer. Arizona's Jaden Delora, transfer. The only non-transfer quarterbacks in this conference are uh, at, at UCLA and then Cal, Colorado, Stanford. Oh, excuse me, Cal is a transfer as well. So it's Colorado, Strand, uh, Stanford at the bottom of the conference. Well, JT that, Stroud at yeah. Colorado is a transfer as well. There you go. So, I mean, Stanford is a huge disadvantage. And Jack Plummer, I get why Justin Wilcox being loyal to Jack Plummer, but he is a he's sitting back there, and that offensive line is just bad. I think Cal could be better. Obviously, I think they could be better, but Wilcox is in no trouble. I mean, they're just not going to fire him after extending him just this last offseason. Uh, moving to the UCLA-Arizona State game. 7.30. This is the nightcap. This is the crazy game that always gives me trouble. FS1. Um, Arizona State's bad defensive team. Give up 29 points a game in conference play on defense. Um, I think UCLA's offense is going to have a good night. Uh, UCLA's favored by 11. I think they cover it. I have it 42-24. Man, last week we were we were alike, John. This week we're opposite on the lot. I like yep. Arizona State plus 11. I think this game gets wacky. I think there's a slight chance Arizona State pulls off the upset. I'm not going to bet it. I'm not going to oh. pick it, but I think I could see it happening. Tack Wilner, after that's what Will, you're with Wilner. Wilner thinks Arizona State's going to win the game. Yeah, I think it's a wacky, wacky thing. And are we sure that UCLA's defense – is as good as the numbers say they were. They got shredded by Oregon. So to go on the road at night, I know Arizona State, they're not great defensively either, but offensively they have some firepower. We saw that against Washington. I think Arizona State scores some points. They stay within the number, and they keep it close. Slight chance of an upset here. Yeah, I I liked UCLA last week to cover a big spread against Stanford, and they did exactly that. I thought they would respond very well out of the Oregon loss. Um God, I, I could go either way as terms of the spread. I think UCLA finds a way to win this game. I, I legit think this is a very good football team, and very good football teams do not lose in this scenario. I'll take ASU and the and the points, though. Give me ASU plus 11, UCLA to win the game. What are your picks right now to be in the conference championship game? Because right now, I think it's Oregon-USC. Yeah, I think it's Oregon-USC as well. I'm the same. If it's not USC... It's got to be UCLA, right? I think I think Utah's in the three position easily for that second spot. I, and, I, I think, but this this game this game is why I bring it up because if Utah's getting into the conference title game, ASU beats UCLA. So what would be the tiebreaker if USC and Utah and Oregon all have one loss? Like Utah goes on the road, beats Oregon. I'm gonna I'm gonna lay it out for you I right guess now. Utah would get there. Yeah. Okay. Please. Are you ready? Because I, 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 I need to write this down. No, no. I I got it. I just gotta what pull it up here. Because uh, I th- I think the most likely loss yeah. from those top three teams is Oregon losing to Utah. I don't see Oregon, Oregon. losing to Utah. I I feel it, worse about the Civil War than I do the Utah game for the. Docs. If Oregon loses at Utah, it's because Cam Rising is healthy and they get Dalton Kincaid healthy. And Tavion Thomas comes back and and has got his head on right. And I feel well, I feel for that kid. Well, that sounds likely to me. <laughs> but I feel for that kid. You know, his he was raised by the woman who raised him passed away this off season, and he went sideways. And you know, it was the most stable person in his ecosystem in his world. And that kid is struggling. And Utah's trying to put its arms around him, but. I think at some point, Kyle Whittingham, he, he's giving him some tough love right now, and I, I'm curious to see how that works for him. But here's the tiebreaker rules. Okay. If Oregon, USC, and Utah are in a three-team tie, uh, it goes until, uh, it, you know, because 
Oregon and USC don't play, so it's not head-to-heads. It goes, uh, it goes until one team comes out on top. Okay, so the the other tiebreakers are like this. All right, I'm going to go through it. So if uh, if it is uh, Oregon, Utah, and USC tied, well, here's the other thing because it could be UCLA as well. <laughs> but okay. I'm, all I'm saying is. It's not head-to-head. It's their record against the, the team with the next best record. Right. So say it's Oregon, USC, and Utah. has to go to the team they all played, which would be UCLA. So then they go, okay, who has the best record against UCLA? Utah's out right, because right. they lost. Now then it would be eliminated. Now it's a two-team tiebreaker, and they keep going until it's one. So Oregon, if Oregon wins out, Oregon's in. Well, if you, it, yeah. USC wins out, they're probably in too. Utah needs some help. Yeah. So, yeah, I got you. So, if it's a Oregon-Utah-USC three-team tie, it's Oregon-USC to Vegas well, because yeah. their record's against UCLA, UCLA. No, because, eliminate Utah. But wouldn't the head-to-head be Utah because they would have beaten Oregon and USC in that situation? Yeah, if oh. it... Wait, but didn't somebody... What are you, isn't that what you're saying, though, John? Like, is head-to-head thrown out if it's a three-team if they Time. haven't, if they haven't all played each other, okay. which so, they have, they so if if it's Oregon, USC, Utah, Utah then would have already had wins over Oregon and USC, so it would probably be, uh, it would be Utah in, <laughs> Sucks and for then Utah. Oregon yeah. and USC oh, would dude. be in a two-team tiebreaker for the second position. Utah would have beaten or like in this hypothetical. In this hypothetical, they would have beaten the two teams they're tied with. Yeah, but they lose the tiebreaker because they lost the wrong game. So having said that, I think it's very likely Oregon USC in the Pac-12 title game. Yeah, uh, I, I'm right back where I was. Yeah, Utah on the outside. <laughs> I'm right back where I was. All right, great game, man. That would be a great game. I think if I think Oregon beats whoever gets there, as long as Bo Nix is healthy. I mean, and that's the other thing. Like, Oregon's got to keep Bo Nix healthy while simultaneously keeping Bo Nix in the game because they need some style points for the playoffs. So. I, I'm really curious to see when they get way up on Colorado, does Dan Lanning pull Bo Nix off the field because, hey, you're going to need that guy to win a conference championship. Where do you – like the, the sliding scale there gets really interesting because you need him up for November 19th in Utah. You need him for the game at the on the 26th against Oregon State because right now Oregon State at Research Stadium, they're a different team when they play at home. They could give Oregon pro- problems at Research Stadium. So look out. I think it's going to be a great, wild finish to the season. That said, coming up, I want to give away some tickets. Line up now, 503-417-7575. If you can tell me Josh Newman of the Salt Lake Tribune's favorite all-time movie, you have a chance to win Phil Knight Invitational Phil Knight Classic tickets. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Josh Furlong of KSL.com has got the flow chart for the Pac-12 uh, championship game. Uh, it it really is interesting, guys, because Oregon does not play USC. I forgot about that. Uh, there is a uh, there is an interesting twist uh, to the whole scenario because Oregon does not play USC. If it's Oregon, USC, and Utah in a three-team tie, there's no head-to-head. So it moves to winning percentage against common Pac-12 opponents. So oh, what I okay. what I did is I just tweeted out Josh Furlong's flow chart. 
Why don't you take a look at it? Because he basically points out, hey, if Oregon wins out, here are the scenarios. If they don't, here are the scenarios. So uh, it's really interesting to kind of look at it through that, through that, uh, through that prism. So it basically, if Oregon wins out, then uh, you have to go to uh, USC. If Oregon and USC went out, it's Oregon-USC. That's easy. If USC doesn't win out, then it goes to UCLA. If you, UCLA wins out, they're in the championship game. And by the way, if you, UCLA beats USC, uh, they, uh, they are uh, you know, almost certainly, unless they belly flop against somebody else, getting to the championship game. Arizona so, State. There you go. Yeah, that's See, Arizona State. No, no, no. Like you said, yeah, UCLA. Yeah. If they belly flop against Arizona State, which Wilner's picking. No, I don't think. I don't see it happening. I, I just, I, I just don't think they're good enough. They're, you know, the, there's a big division between the top five or six in the conference, and Oregon State and Washington are in that five-six range, and I think Oregon State's better than Washington, but we're gonna find out on Friday Oof, night. Yeah. We're gonna find out. They gotta prove it. They gotta prove it on the road. Uh, I am going to give away a pair of Phil Knight Invitational tickets. Now, as, an, as I understand this, Judah, these tickets, you get all the games with these tickets. It's all it's 12 games, is it not? All the Moda Center games. So, like, okay. you've called it uh, a lot of different things, and it is a lot of different things. The Phil Knight Invitational and the Phil Knight Legacy. Classic. Legacy, classic. Yeah, well, PK, Semantics. 85. Yeah. It's, it's Phil's Thanksgiving thing. That's what I call it. The TPT. Yeah. It's the Charlie Brown special. We yeah. all know what he means. We all hey, know. We all know what he means. But it's all the games at Moda Center, which are on Thanksgiving Day, and then all the championship games. So they're each bracket, the men's bracket and the women's bracket of the PKI and the PK Legacy. All those championship games are on Sunday of Thanksgiving weekend. They're all at Moda Center, so you can get to those and all the Moda Center games on Thanksgiving Day itself uh, for free. So it's 12 games total, like Duke, Carolina, Sparty, Oregon. Um, plus, if, like, the Oregon women, you know, go to the title game in their bracket, you'll see them. Same with, like, if they end up playing the Beaver women or whatever. Um, you're going to see a lot of really good basketball, and you're going to get okay. to go for free. And it's a pair of tickets, so it's you and somebody else. You and someone else. And yeah. so how we did this is we said, look— you got to be listening in the 3 o'clock hour. And Josh Newman of the Salt Lake Tribune, who uh, was gracious enough to join the show, told us his favorite all-time movie during the interview. And now I'm going to uh, go through the callers, and uh, we will see who gets this. Uh, which line, guys, of the six I see in front of me called first? Because... I have a hard time seeing uh, what, you know, the, the times oh, on what yeah, they, gotcha. like when you pick up the call, it yeah. changes the time. So who called first? Which line number? One. Okay. That makes sense. Let's go to Tyson in Milwaukee. Tyson, where, now don't give us the answer yet. How you doing, man? How you doing? Oh, I'm doing, I'm doing real well now, John. I was sick at home today from work, but hey, I'm feeling better. All right, so you stayed home sick from work, and you're listening to the show. I like that. How are you feeling? What do you have? What's going on? Oh, I think I ate some something bad. Uh, definitely a stomach flu. But it's, okay. I swear it's one of those 24 hours, so I'm feeling way better. <laughs> Was it somewhere good? in Milwaukee? Because I live in Milwaukee. I don't want to eat the same thing that you have. <laughs> I'll stay it. far away. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, there it is. Uh, so, Tyson, what kind of work do you do? Uh, I'm a courier, and that means I rarely have any days off uh, oh. so it was like a miracle to get the day off but i wasn't going anywhere i wasn't getting out of bed so it was pretty All bad right. 
Okay, so I'm sorry that you're not feeling well, but good on you for tuning in. Uh, now, where yeah. you, were you just kind of laying around listening to the beginning of the show? Do you listen every day? Like, take us through the circumstances I, of you being there when Josh Newman was on. Believe it or not, I had to muster enough strength to grab my son from uh, LaSalle and get him home. And I happened to just be having the radio on at that time, and I do listen every day, John. All right. I love that. I appreciate you being here. So uh, Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune, told us his favorite movie. And yeah. you must now give us that answer in order to get the tickets to the Phil Knight Palooza basketball tournament coming up Thanksgiving <laughs> weekend. What is the correct answer to Josh Newman's favorite movie? His go-to go -to movie, Shawshank Redemption. There you go. You got it. Great. Well done. Who's going with you to the Phil Knight Bonanza Tournament? You know, I got um, my 14-year-old. He's in the midst of the, you know, the workouts for basketball. So probably be probably be my 14-year-old. Love it. Hey, I appreciate you listening to the show. Sorry that oh, you yeah. don't feel well today. We're going to put you on hold. They'll get your information. And for those of you uh, still listening, I want you to stay tuned because there's often second and third chance opportunities. Because I feel bad. I feel like we should give everyone tickets. Can we not give everyone tickets to this thing? So we, Yeah, you're right. I forgot. We have tickets to the entire event for the whole arena. Whole audience. Let's just uh, I will the say arena. that there is also a contest online at 750thegame.com. If you didn't win during the show, you can enter for a chance to win online as well. So we'll be giving away a pair of tickets online. There you go. I like that. So get there, get the second chance opportunity, and stay tuned for more. Uh, coming up top of the hour, the 5 at 5. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, the Brooklyn Nets have suspended Kyrie Irving, and they they have issued a statement. Uh, I think he left them no choice, but they uh, here it is. Uh, they just say that over the last several days, they've made repeated attempts to work with Kyrie Irving and help him understand the harm and danger of his words and actions, which began with him publicizing a film containing deeply disturbing anti-Semitic hate. Uh, they went on to say they were dismayed today when given the opportunity in a media session that Kyrie refused to unequivocally say that he has no anti-Semitic beliefs, uh, nor acknowledge specific hateful material in the film. This was not the first time he had the opportunity, but he failed to clarify. Uh, the Nets say accordingly that they think he is quote-unquote unfit to be associated with the Brooklyn Nets so unfit that they have decided that he will serve a suspension without pay until he satisfies a series of objective remedial measures um, that address his conduct. And uh, they say the suspension will be no less than five games. I find this interesting because, look, clearly, if Kyrie Irving weren't a good player, they would have been done with him days ago, if not weeks ago, if not last season when he said that he wasn't going to get vaccinated like they would have said hey we can't we can't uh, reserve a roster spot for a guy who can't be there for half the games and so uh here you have an example of a franchise and good for the nets for doing this but you have a franchise that is basically saying hey he's so good 
that we have no choice but to suspend him for no less than five games. And if he weren't so good, we would be done with him altogether. Like, do you guys find that a little bit disturbing that, like, if he's unfit to be part of the organization, isn't he unfit to be part of the organization? Yes, uh, I do believe that. I, I, you know, sometimes sports is just, like, bigger than what we want it to be. And we take sports too seriously, and this is one of those situations. Like, if he's unfit to be with the team, he's unfit to play in the league and be, in the, um, be on the team, but he's so good that teams are going to go out and get him. Um, you know, And it, it's sad. It's sad that that's the way it is because there's no room for these type of you know things that he's come out and said and then not apologizing for it. Uh, so I do think it's good of the Nets that they at least made a move. And the statement I thought was very powerful and said, you know, he is wrong and he needs to do this. You know, he needs to apologize and he hasn't done it. I thought the Nets did a good job there, but I'm with you. Like, it's disappointing that that, you know, it has to get this far, but uh, at least there's a step positive now. Yeah. Is, is Kyrie like trying to be like a, like an activist in a kind of a backwards way here? Like, this is almost like the backward Kaepernick type of stuff. Um, yeah. Like, how far is he willing to go? Obviously, he was willing to go super far with the vaccination stuff. Yeah. And that was kind of its own thing. But I'm not, I'm, I'm wondering if he cares. I'm wondering if he cares that he's suspended. Like, did he think that he might not be? Did he think that there might not be a repercussion? Or is he like, dude, even if I am suspended, even if it is five games without pay, like, whatever. And, yeah, I mean, does he like basketball? That's does, the thing. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know. know. I, I think, I look. The whole the whole NBA, the whole league is rooted in entitlement and lies, if you really think about it. The the whole league's a lie. And the players and and when I say entitlement, I mean guaranteed contracts by definition it's entitlement. You don't have to perform. You're here in the league. We're gonna give you a contract. So the basis of the league, I even think the good guys in the league run the risk of being infected with sort of the entitlement of the NBA, you know, just the culture of the league and, and the guaranteed contracts. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing to me that you can have a system where, you, you know, sports by definition is all about incentivizing things and incentives, and we think, you know, go win the games, you'll have more success, you'll win more, you get more, you get paid more if you play better. Like, there's an incentive system that is inherent in sport. But... In the NBA, they remove that with the guaranteed contracts because, you know, if you're not hungry, if you don't have that drive inside of you, then you're not you're not going to perform. And then you go further with it. Let's just say you're you're not bright. You don't grasp like common sense. Like I'm I'm talking about Kyrie Irving now. Like I don't think he's very bright and I don't think he has much com in the way of common sense. And then he happens to be working in a league that. You know his contracts guaranteed, whatnot. So this is the only recourse that the Brooklyn Nets have to get his attention is to say we're not we're going to spend you without pay, and they have the support of Adam Silver on this, and they know they're going to run into the Players Association, but they're going to suspend him without pay. But here's the lie in the NBA: the lie is you know they lie about attendance, they lie about the officiating, they lie about the drug testing policy. It's a lie. Like the players, they they actually can use banned substances, but they can enter the diversion program. So it's a lie, but the public thinks, you know, we're not, we don't know. Uh, the the fact that the, the teams show up some nights and they just don't play because they're tired, they're weary, the schedule, the back-to-backs, whatnot, it's a lie. Um, you talk about the the league itself. It's it's NBA entertainment. It's not, it's not sport. And so it really is a turnoff when you get a player who exploits 
that system the way that Kyrie was doing to this point. And, and I think it turns everybody off. I think it's bad for the league. It's bad for the game because even the good guys in this league, and, they're, and I'm, what I mean by good guys are, are the guys that show up, that work, that put in an honest day's work and try to win games and try to better themselves. They're so distracted by the the turds of the league who are taking advantage of the system. Like, Kyrie just, I'm above it, I'm above it, I, I don't need it, I'm above it. It's entitlement, like pl- plain and simple. I want your phone calls. 503-417-7575 is a number. Tell me what you make of the Brooklyn Nets doing this. What do you make of Kyrie Irving in general? The 5 at 5 is coming up as well. you got the BFT statewide. Appreciate that you're here for this show. Leave it locked in as we start the 5 o'clock hour. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. 5 o'clock hour is the happy hour. That's right. We keep it moving along here in the 5 o'clock hour. If you're listening in Portland, coming up uh, at about 5.15, you're going to get Thursday night football. Eagles, Texans. Can the Eagles keep keep it going? They've been perfect. Can they keep going? Tomorrow, we'll be broadcasting live from Husky Stadium. I'll be on the scene in Seattle. Set the scene for Washington's home game against Oregon State. If you're a Beaver fan or you're a curious Pac-12 fan, we'll have a great show tomorrow. Tune in. We may have some more tickets to give away. Lots to talk about. We got the 5 at 5. I'll take your phone calls on Kyrie Irving. He's been suspended by the Nets. Say that he is unfit to be part of their organization right now. If he were not a talented player or not as good, would he even be around? No. We know what this is about. He's really good. Could rewrite that news release for him. Probably shaking their heads going, well, we wish he wasn't so good. Can you trade him right now? Could you trade him, Stephen? Could you get, what could you get? Could you get Russell Westbrook for Kyrie? You probably could. Yeah, probably. That's about it. I was going to ask you. Problem uh, for a problem. Yeah, I was going to ask you. He uh, He's a free agent and restricted free agent next season. He opted into his extension this year. He tried to explore Nobody wanted him this offseason. Is he on a team next season? Does somebody sign him? Somebody will because he can play. And it depends what he says here. Like, you know, it, I I, th- I actually think the problem here is that he's arrogant and entitled. I think that's the problem. And can you fix that? Will this fix? Will, will losing $2 million by sitting out five games uh, fix that? We'll find out. The five at five. Let's do it. The five at five. Well, the Nets have suspended Kyrie Irving at least five games without pay. Nets say they were dismayed today when given the opportunity to to uh, apologize and say unequivocally that he has no anti-Semitic beliefs. That he failed to do that. They said he's unfit to be associated with the Brooklyn Nets. Well, if he's unfit to be associated, cut him. But no, the Nets are suspending him without pay five games probably trying to figure out if they can get him to say the right things in the next five or six days Kyrie Irving it'll be really interesting as he has brought this upon himself no doubt but that is number one in our five at five number two Bob Huggins speaking out West Virginia coach said he's not convinced 
that Gonzaga could sustain its success if it made the move to the Big 12. ESPN's Pete Thamel reported yesterday that the Big 12 was interested in Gonzaga. You knew last week that Mark Few had talked about the Pac-12 possibly. I also think the Big East, the SEC, and some others would be involved, but uh, Huggins said he thought it would be a tremendous awakening for Gonzaga to join the Big 12. Keep an eye on it. I think Gonzaga would be really good. I also think Gonzaga, which has produced 11 first-round NBA picks under Mark Few and has more NCAA tournament units in the last five years than any program in America, two Final Fours in the last six years, I think Gonzaga would win just fine staying where they are. Why would they want to leave the WCC? Can't be money. There's not enough of it out there. Number three in our five at five, James Harden. 76ers expected to miss a month. Right foot tendon strain. He'll miss a month. Suffered it in the loss to the Wizards on Wednesday night. He's averaging 22 points and 7 rebounds. Philadelphia entering the most difficult stretch of its schedule. What's going on with Harden? Is this simple age, Stephen, or something else? Uh, I, I think it's uh, I think it's bad luck. James Harden has been pretty healthy his entire career. It may just be age, like you said, but I think it's bad luck. Honestly, though, for the Sixers, I think it's good. It's going to give Tyrese Maxey a lot of options with the ball. Uh, Joel Embiid has been sick. He's been out of the lineup. Maxey is a guy who's in his third year. Uh, look for him to explode with James Harden out. Let's move our focus to the World Series. Game 5 of the World Series happening tonight. Game four of the World Series was fascinating. You guys watch this? Judah, did you watch the uh, no-no in the World Series? I did catch uh, catch bits and pieces in the last few innings as it was thickening. Well, what's Ash- your guys' thoughts on uh, the combined no-hitter? Does that count as a no-hitter? It's a no-hitter, but it, this isn't Don Larson throwing a no-hitter in, uh, in the World Series. It, to me, a no-hitter is one person. It's a combined no-hitter. It's kind of cool, but... You know, it was the first combined no-hitter in World Series history. Do you think that they should have taken him out after six innings of no-hit ball? Do you have a problem with, uh, you know, Dusty Baker I don't, with, I, with the quick trigger there? No, we saw in game one, they had a, the Astros had a 5-0 lead and they blew it. Um, Dusty Baker looking for his first World Series? No, I don't have a problem with them taking it out. It obviously was the right choice. They threw a no-hitter and they won the game. <laughs> so, like, you know, was, I think it was the right choice by Dusty. Obviously, I'm with you, though. I would love to see a one pitcher do it, but you know you're trying to win the game, especially at this point in the season. Yeah, and also Larson was a perfect game in, in yeah. 56, so that's even better. The reason I think it's still impressive is the Phillies hit five homers 24 hours earlier. That tied a World Series record. 24 hours later, they get no hits. That's crazy baseball right there, man. Don Larson, by the way, lived not far from where I grew up, really? and he was kind of reclusive after his career. I can remember some kids in elementary school going to his house to get a ball signed and he was really standoffish at the door. He didn't like people coming knocking on his door and whatnot. He lived a little rural, you know, Don Larson back in the day. And he wasn't like, and it wasn't like he was this, it wasn't like Cy Young. He wasn't like a dominant pitcher in that era, but he, uh, he did enough. So uh, there it is. Uh, finally, uh, let's go to uh, let's go to the NFL. Why not? Haven't spent a lot of time on the NFL today. We've been so wrapped up. But a uh, bunch of injuries. I'm just going to go through a bunch of injuries here. If you if you're a Michael Thomas fan, 
He's got a toe surgery. The Saints put him on IR. Uh, meanwhile, you got uh, season-ending surgery for Rashad Bateman in in uh, Baltimore. Number one wide receiver for Lamar Jackson. First-round pick from a year ago. He's got that Liz Frank injury on his left foot. He's going to miss the last part. We're kind of at the point of the season where it's uh, a bunch of people getting hurt. Brandon Cooks, former Oregon State receiver, and Nico Collins, both out, will not play Thursday night football tonight against the Eagles. Texans are saying uh, that uh, Cooks was, uh, is uh, you know, he missed practice Tuesday and Wednesday. And, uh, by the way, he, he thought he was going to get traded, and he was not traded. Did you guys see this? Yeah, it's been a, it's kind of been a messy thing, and he's not happy with the team right now. I know that. Yep. Brandon Cooks tweeted out, Don't take a man's kindness for granted. Covered for the lies too long. Those days are done. Cross the line with playing with my career. Ouch. Am I wrong, or didn't he sign a, He re-signed with Houston? He signed an extension with them. I might be wrong about that, but I think he did. I don't. I don't know. I just. I find it weird. <laughs> Brandon Cooks. Uh, yeah, Beaver, two-year man. extension. Signed a two-year extension. Great, yeah, like you Beaver. didn't have to sign that extension if you hate Houston that much, right? Or I mean, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, you don't. You're not wrong. Finally, the fifth thing in our five at five. Uh, Judah Newby and Steven are haters. That's the fifth thing. They're both picking. <laughs> Washington to beat Oregon State on Friday, and the trend may be their friend. Home favorites 34-1 and this Pac-12 season. The only loss was Western Michigan. Or was it Western? Eastern Michigan? Eastern, yeah. Eastern yeah. Michigan. Eastern Michigan over Arizona State at Arizona State earlier this season. That's the only underdog road team that has won in the Pac-12 conference this season. So there it is. I'm just uh, glad I can make the hater 5-5 five yeah. five when it's a positive 5-5. Five five. Yeah, it's normally <laughs> the positive 5-5. Five five. It's now the hater 5-5. Five five. All right. Uh, I got Oregon State, but I'll be broadcasting tomorrow from Husky Stadium. I hope you're back for the 3 o'clock to 6 p.m. broadcast tomorrow.